Amen. Hey, like I said, it's so good to be back. I was in Israel with a team from Laguna Presbyterian Church, also from our congregation. We had a wonderful time. We made our way from Galilee through Jericho, uh, through the Dead Sea, and then all the way eventually up to Jerusalem. When we got to Jerusalem, uh, we made our way to the Western Wall. You may be familiar with this area. It's what is believed to be the, the, the remains of the temple, the temple area that um, the people would, would worship. It's a significant area. Our psalm, Psalm 121, it was often sung uh, as they approached the temple for worship. And it starts with a question. Matthew was talking about it a little bit earlier. Uh, where does my help come from? And they look to the mountains. And, and it's a question. And the answer is, my help doesn't come from the mountain. How majestic and beautiful and awe-inspiring that they are, absolutely. But they point to where our help comes from, from our creator, the maker of heaven and earth. And so they would sing this as they were going up to the temple. And this western wall is what remains of what they believe as a temple. So I made my way there with others. And I decided I was going to pray there. Some believe this is a thin place. The Irish believe that there are thin places on the earth where heaven and earth so, come so, so very close. And that membrane between is so sheer. I, I don't know, but I took a moment to pray. I had a slip of paper. I had your names, your families the future, the hopes that we have together. And I put my hand on that wall and I put that piece of paper and I prayed for you all. I prayed for our future together. It was a significant time for us as we were there. What is interesting about this western wall though is that you see it from above. There's also a subterranean area that I didn't know about, and we toured it together um, on one occasion. And we went down below where the foundations of this western wall is. Now, archaeologists tell us they're not sure exactly how old this part is and how many years it goes back. I walked along. I put my hand along there as we were down below, and I also I prayed there as well. And, you know, I started to imagine, you know, maybe it's pieces of Solomon's temple are still here, or the time of Jeremiah when he was walking in the streets of Jerusalem, calling the people out to be faithful in their, their love and their grace and their devotion to God. And I, running my hand along the side of that wall, I thought about the significance of this wall. Historians tell us that the, the destruction of Solomon's temple, the people of God, were carted off. They were rooted up from their homes and their, their temple and their families, and they were taken by the Babylonian armies 700 miles across the Judean desert into an unknown land, leaving homes and communities and place of worship, taken to a place they would rather not be. I thought a lot about that this week. In some sense, we all experience, experience exile on some level or another in our lives. I remember moving from Los Angeles to Seattle when I was in high school. All I know, I moved to the land of rain, and I had shorts and a t-shirt and a skateboard attached to my feet. I felt so out of place. 
I was like, what? And it wasn't my choice. What are we moving from Los Angeles for, Dad? The Dodgers are in Los Angeles. Oh, that hurt. The Dodgers are in Los Angeles. We can't move to Seattle. An exile experience. The reality of our lives are rearranged without our consent or waiting for our permission. Perhaps it's from something we had no control over or something that maybe we did or our choices that we made. But whatever the case, there are seasons, there are moments in our lives that we live in exile. The exile experience for the Hebrews is a dramatic instance of what we all experience on occasion. Just simply living in this world, we will experience exile. And repeatedly we find ourselves in circumstances where we're not at home. We feel like strangers in a strange land. For the Hebrew people, exiled to a strange new land, the familiar landmarks are gone, the language is unintelligible, customs are odd. Moreover, their sense of God's presence in their lives was really rattled. They're wondering, are you with us, God, on this? Have you finally abandoned your people? Then one day, while they're in exile, in Babylon, two men show up with a letter from home, a letter from Jeremiah. He was left behind in the ruins of Jerusalem. He was in jail at the time, and the Babylonians thought, well, why would we bring that guy? He's not worth the export. Likewise, the Hebrew people, they not a whole lot of love lost on Jeremiah. They're all, yeah, why don't you leave him there? The king is the one who put him in prison. Why? Because Jeremiah had this audacious habit of telling the truth, of telling them how far they're missing the mark, calling them out on their unfaithfulness, calling them out when they're not devoting their lives to God. And they didn't like it, and so they like to leave him behind. That old prophet But this letter that they receive is different. It's a letter from Jeremiah, the voice of God that's filled with hope. Here it is out of Jeremiah chapter 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they will bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Don't decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to your dreams that you dream, for it is a lie. They are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are complete, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare, 
not for harm, but to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with your whole heart, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The verse most often quoted, maybe you even sent this verse on a, on a greeting card to a graduate from a college or a high school, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, not harm, to give you a future and a hope. You know, that's one of the most popular verses in all of the Old Testament, right there behind in the Bible, in the New Testament as well, right there behind John 3.16. In the Hebrew, biblical Hebrew, the word hope is closely related to the word wait, waiting and hoping. It sounds like that's what the people of God are going to have to do while they're in exile. They're going to have to wait and hope. The Psalms often say, I waited on the Lord, and he turned and he heard my cry. It could be, I hoped in the Lord. For God alone, my soul waits in silence, my hope in silence, for my hope is from him. So according to Jeremiah's letter, the people are to hope and to wait in God's promise for them while living in exile. But for Jeremiah, hoping and waiting is not a passive activity. It's not something you do while you sit on the couch with a remote. It's active. Jeremiah reminds them of the specific activities that they are about to, that they are to be doing while they are in exile. And I think these are lessons for us while we experience exile in our lives, whatever level, whatever degree, whatever area in our lives. The first activity is while they're in waiting and hoping is to invest in community. What does it say? Build houses. Make yourselves at home. You're not leaving anytime soon. Build a life. As one theologian says, you're not camping. You're going to live there. Make this place your home. It might not be your favorite place right now, but it is your home. So get to work, dig foundations, build dwellings, live in them, develop an environment of living. Invest in community is what he's saying. You're not to sit around and Wait for one day to come where you'll hope for things that they used to be. I confess to you there are times that I look back and I, oh man, before the pandemic, the way that, yo, I missed, I missed, you know. Friends, if we start doing that, our lives become miserable, hoping for the way it used to be. That's what Jeremiah is telling them. Don't just sit there on your hands hoping for the way it used to be, because your lives will be miserable. Invest in community. Invest in one another. Invest in your lives together, is what he's saying. Thrive as a community. Make a place of sanctuary, of health and wellness. They're actively to build places of hospitality and welcome not to neglect the wholeness and the hope that comes from living in community with one another, sharing our lives with one another, developing lively relationships. Man, we had so much fun last night developing lively relationships as we were seeking to build, right? Seeking to build a place of hospitality and welcome. 
coming right out of Jeremiah. The second thing that he's telling them to do is, in their hoping and waiting, is to cultivate. Cultivate. Cultivate the land. Plant gardens. Eat and grow what you find in the country, what comes. Enter into the rhythm of the seasons. Become a productive part of the community that you're in. Don't expect others to do it for you, he says. Develop the skills of cultivating healthy habits. Cultivating your faith is how I read this. How do we cultivate our faith when we take time reading the Bible devotionally? The Bible is our food, and it nourishes our souls. Take time in prayer. Take time in in the spiritual disciplines where you devote yourselves to God. And you hear the little sounds. Cultivate your faith. And the third thing that he draws attention to is that they are called to pray and search. Pray and search. It's almost counterintuitive what they're supposed to do here. These people who brought them, the Babylonian armies, brought them to their foreign land, they are the enemy. And then Jeremiah says, you are to pray for your enemy for their welfare, because in their welfare, then you will flourish as well. There are times in the Old Testament where they are in Babylon, they're in exile, and they write and how they lament for their existence and for what's happened in their lives, and then they receive this letter reminding them to pray. Pray for the people that you're here and you're with. Pray for the community. Pray for its welfare. Pray for their enemies. And bless them. And search for God in a place that they find themselves in. Where is God working in and through, in the midst of the exile that we might be experiencing in whatever our lives? Search for God. And God promises, when you're searching for me, you will find me. You will find me as you search. Pray and search is what they are to be about. I was talking to a really good friend about prayer, and they were saying how often they pray, God, change my circumstance. God, change my circumstance. God, change my circumstance. Change my circumstance. Change my circumstance, and then the prayer changes to God, change me. God, change me. God, change me. We're called to search and pray. Sometimes our prayer consists of praying, open hearts. God, where are you leading us? Where do I see you in the midst of our exile? We're all given moments and days of exile. The question comes to us, what will we do in them? We wait in hope. Dear friends, we wait in hope for the cancer to be cured. We wait in hope for the grace to forgive. We wait in hope for the kids to find their way. We wait in hope for a career to take off, for the doors to open. We wait in hope for aging parents to find peace, anxieties to pass. We wait in hope for wars to end, neighbors to be reconciled, loneliness to end. We wait in hope for the hurts to be healed. We wait in hope. Whatever parts of your life you feel like you're in exile, 
Or maybe it's not you. Maybe it's someone you love, someone dear to you, you know is going through a difficult time of exile. We're holding on to the promises that come to us from this letter that was written so many, many, many years ago to God's people from Jeremiah. Holding on to the hope by living faithfully. By living faithfully. Holding on to the hope, the promises of tomorrow, by living faithfully today. So what commitments will you make, dear friends? What commitments do we need to make together as a congregation? This week, what steps will you take in building community? In building community in your lives, coming along with one another and supporting one another? What ways will you cultivate your faith this week? Where will you pay attention to the soil in your heart and your soul where God's word can bury deep in there and nourish your life? How will you cultivate your faith this week? And dear friends, how will you search and pray? And how will we encourage one another to search and pray in the midst of our exiles in these seasons? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for you to prosper, not to harm, but give you a future and a hope. The word of the Lord. Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for the opportunity to worship here in this place and gather together with the affirmation that you are with us and present with us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, God, as we hear your word and as you stir within our hearts and our souls and you awaken our minds to you and your voice and your voice alone, we respond. And we respond in giving, giving of our, our time and our talent and our financial resources because we trust you, God. We trust you with our lives. And we trust your love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <music>